Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. I know you guys are talking about some pretty big characters in the Bible, but this morning I want to talk about the very power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see this morning is this, that Jesus conveys his dual and equal personhood as the Son of God and the Son of Man. And the great mystery of the incarnation is that, that he is fully God, but he is also fully man. So he can perfectly identify with us but he also has the power to transcend our human limitations as God himself. And what we're going to see in today's message is is basically this. We're going to see his power. That's going to be the the main theme of our message today. He is the master of every situation. He has authority over every force of nature and force of darkness. In him, we have no reason to be afraid. So I remember when I was a kid, you know, thinking back about things that I thought were powerful. Um, One thing that I always thought was powerful was, you know, me and my little brother were obsessed with sharks. So we watched like all the Jaws movies and all that good stuff. But more so than that, man, we were really into pro wrestling for a little while, me and my little brother. We were like obsessed with it. So there was this time where uh, it was the WCW and and Goldberg was our favorite wrestler, right? Do you guys remember Goldberg, anybody? And as the crowd would be chanting his name, Goldberg, Goldberg, everybody be waiting for him to come out because whoever he was wrestling against, whether it was the NWO or whoever it was, the Wolfpack, (laughs) they'd be out there talking trash, right? And they would be making all these threats to try to show their, their power and try to intimidate their opponent, but not Goldberg. Because when Goldberg came out, it was just one move, the spear. Like he would run up and he would tackle people. And just like that, with one move, they're done. Just one tackle and they're out cold. So (laughs) Goldberg was always kind of portrayed as the the good guy, right? And that's why me and my brother were were so about it. And me and my brother, we had this, um, this weight set that my my papa my grandpa had given to us and it was like an old weight set covered in cobwebs um the weights were like plastic filled with sand and we would load that thing up with all the weights he gave us and we had a vhs tape when when wcw came on we would take that vhs tape and we would hit record on my mom's vcr and we recorded goldberg's matches just goldberg and we would play those over and over and we'd we'd watch the match and then we'd sit there and hit a couple sets on that, that weight bench. We'd get all pumped up, you know. <laughs> That's what we did, man. But we, at that time in my life, there was nothing more powerful than, than seeing that. And while we thought he was like the coolest guy on earth, it was also pretty terrifying. Like, I wouldn't want to meet that guy in a, in a dark alley, right? So, yeah, that was powerful until... <laughs> until I met Jesus Christ, until I met the very source of that power. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. The first thing I want to talk about is Jesus's power over nature. We're going to be in Mark 4, 35 through 41. Um, Let me pray before we dive into that. Lord, we just thank you so much 
God, for the opportunity to come into this place and, and open up your word. And God, we just pray that this morning you would do something supernatural in our lives. God, we need you to show up. We need to hear your voice. Like our brother was saying this morning before worship, God, don't let this be just another Sunday morning where we come and we go through the motions. Lord, we need you to show up. We need your power. We need your goodness. And God, we know that you're more than capable of moving the mountains in our life. God, you are the very source of power. And we look to you this morning. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Mark 4, 35 through 41. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the Sea of Galilee sits 700 feet below sea level. And just to the north is Mount Hermon that sits like 9,200 feet high. So what would happen is the, the warm air from the sea would come up and clash from the cold air that comes down from the mountains, and it would cause these ferocious storms on the water. Now, experienced fishermen from Galilee would have been used to this. They would have seen this all the time. So if this tells you anything about how bad this storm actually is that we're talking about this morning, these experienced fishermen from Galilee were afraid that they were going to die. So they, they look to Jesus, they wake him up and they say, Jesus, do you not, do you not care that we're, that we're going to perish? We're going to die. So look at the response that we get from Jesus. I love this. Jesus gives the simplest command to the storm itself. And he says, peace, be still. Or maybe your translation says, quiet, be still. I mean, you guys, he's talking to a dadgum hurricane here. <laughs> peace, be still. Now, I give this kind of command to my kids all the time. <laughs> the only difference is they don't, they don't obey me. <laughs> so like, We'll be dropped. My wife knows what I'm talking about. We've got three of them. I only brought one with me today, but we've got Grayson. He's about to turn nine. We have Harlan, who's about to turn 13, and then Camber, who's three. So they're all in the back. Camber's in a car seat, and they'll be back there just, man, just picking at each other. And they're, they're picking at Camber, just trying to get her to scream in her car seat. I'll be driving. Okay, guys, peace. Be still. Doesn't work. So what I have to do is make other threats against their lives to get them to listen to me. Like, okay, guys, if you don't, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back there. I'm going to get you both in a chokehold. I'm going to pull the car over. I'm going to get on top of the car. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, I'm going to suplex you guys off the top of the car. Then they're like, okay, dad, we get, we get the point. We'll be still. <laughs> for the next five minutes, and then we'll do it again. So Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't have to make threats 
against the storm. He doesn't even brace himself or roll his sleeves up. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, peace, be still. And the storm obeys him. Nature obeys him. It says that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Mark is telling us that Jesus is doing something supernatural here. Because not only did the wind stop, anybody that's ever been on the sea, um, you know you know that even if the wind stops, it's still gonna be hours before the waves cease. But that's not what happened here. He simply says, peace, be still, and there was calm, a great calm, calm water. You could see your reflection in it, calm. Complete calm with a single command from Christ. So his actions alone here, just by his actions alone, Jesus is making a very bold claim. He is saying that, listen, I'm not just somebody who has power. I am power. Anyone or anything that has any power in this universe is given that power from me. I am that very source of power. I am power. So if we believe this to be true, just think about the implications here. You could say that we're all on this planet by just, you know, by scientific reasoning, the Big Bang Theory or whatever popular belief is out there that tries to disprove the existence of a creator, that tries to disprove the existence of God, master creator. Or, or Jesus could be exactly who he says he is, and the Bible could be the very living, breathing word of God. And if that is the case, which it is, then it doesn't matter how bad the storms of life get. It doesn't matter how bad our lives may seem at times because he is the Lord of the storm. We belong to Jesus. And if our lives are hidden in him, we have no reason to be afraid. In him exists all power, all healing. Everything that we need in life exists in him. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in you and me. The same power that gets us through the storm. Another thing to look at in this awesome display of power is this. Before the storm let up, the disciples were scared, obviously afraid. But after Jesus stills the storm, they're terrified. Why, why is that? Before Jesus commands the, the storm to stop, the water was beating down on them so badly that they thought they were going to die. So they wake Jesus up. He was asleep, right? They wake him up and they're like, Jesus, do you not care that we're going to, I mean, we're going to die here. And just a side note, I think it's safe to say that every single one of us in this room Man, we're either in that place right now or we've been in that place recently where it feels like, man, life is just beating you up so badly and, and the waves are just crashing down on top of you. And you think to yourself, man, Lord, are you, do you see what's going on here? Are you, are you asleep? If, if you're out there and you do see me, do you care? Because this is happening to me and my life is falling apart. It doesn't make any sense. Like I've, I've committed myself to following you. I'm here in the boat, but it looks like I'm gonna perish. I don't even know if I'm gonna make it through this. 
But the disciples in the story, man, they're thinking the same thing. Jesus, if you loved us, we wouldn't be going through this. If you really loved us, we wouldn't be sinking. So as soon as Jesus calms the storm, what does he say? As soon as he says, peace, be still, he looks to his disciples. Why, why are you guys afraid? Why are you so afraid? Like, what do you mean, why are we afraid? We're, we're gonna drown out here at sea. We're afraid you forgot about us because you're just sitting there letting this happen. But Jesus is thinking more along the lines of this. You guys should know better. I do allow people I love to go through storms sometimes. I do let people I love go through storms sometimes. You have no reason to be afraid, though, when I am with you. So if they have no reason to panic even in the midst of the storm, why are they even more afraid when he calms the storm? It says they were terrified. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And my friends, it was because of his power. They're starting to get the picture here. He is the very source of power. The storm itself had immense power, but Jesus has infinitely more. And here's the thing. A storm doesn't love you. A storm doesn't care about the details of your life. A storm doesn't care about your marriage or whether or not you're going to get to see your kids or whether or not your, your finances are going to come through and you're going to be able to pay the mortgage this month. The insanely powerful, powerful forces of nature don't love you. And you've seen the forces of nature and how they can end lives within the blink of an eye with their unimaginable power. Hurricanes, tornadoes, volcanoes, fires, all the time. But Jesus Christ, the very source of that power, he does love you. He does care about the details of your life. He does care about your marriage. He does care about your children. He does care about your future and your home and everything that goes on within one little menial day of your life. Because to him, it's not menial. To him, it matters. He loves you. Well, you might say, yeah, but he, he doesn't do things the way that I want him to do it. He doesn't do things that I understand. He doesn't do things according to my timeline. I don't get it. Like, I need this now, Jesus. <laughs> you want me to follow you? Okay. But listen, they didn't have to be afraid, and neither do we, because... If the disciples understood that he is both all-powerful and all-loving, then they wouldn't have been scared. The only real place for us to feel safe is smack dab in the middle of God's will. Even when bad things happen to us that are seemingly bad in the moment, we can trust that we serve a God who knows what's best for us better than we do. And I know we've heard that a thousand times, but do we live like that? And I'm Speaking to myself, do I live like that? Did I trust the one who's in control of my life? Did I trust the one who is in the boat with me? No matter how bad the waves get, no matter how bad the wind gets, he is with me. He is with you in the storms of life. Now, I want us to look at something um, 
for just a moment, I want you to look at some really, really unmistakable parallels between this story and the Old Testament story of Jonah. Both Jesus and Jonah were in a boat during a storm. And if you look at the scriptures, it's almost like the storms are identical. Jesus and Jonah were both asleep. And in both stories, the men on the ship, they wake up the sleeping prophets and they say, hey, we're gonna die. And in both stories, we see divine intervention to calm the sea. But here's the difference. In the story of Jonah, he tells the men that he's on the boat with that in order for them to live, he has to die. So what do they do? They throw him overboard. And the sea is calmed. Now you might say, well, this isn't exactly what happens in, in Mark's story until we take a step back and look at the bigger picture. In Matthew, Jesus says, one who is greater than Jonah is here, talking about himself. He says, I am the true Jonah. One day I will heal all disease. I will destroy all brokenness. I will kill death. One day I'm gonna calm all the storms of this life and all the waves of this world. And how does he do this? He does this by willingly throwing himself on a cross and entering into the ultimate storm of sin and death. He who knew no sin became sin and defeated death so that you and I can have eternal life in his name so that you and I can be made right before a holy God and have salvation because of Jesus Christ and the fact that he went to the cross and paid the ultimate price in the ultimate storm. So, you see, he doesn't abandon us in the ultimate storm. So why would we ever dare think that he would abandon us in the small storms of this life? He's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. It doesn't matter what it looks like. He is there with you and he is in the boat and he is the very source of that power. The next thing I wanna look at quickly is in the very next chapter, Mark 5. We're just gonna read the first, um, well, first 13 verses. I'll try to be quick. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and they drowned in the sea. So in this story, we meet a demon-possessed man 
who seems pretty hopeless, right? Now, you guys have probably heard messages on this, uh, this text before that looks at the psychological aspect of, of where this man was at and the benefits of, of following Jesus. But I think that this text is telling us so much more than that. And really that it's not about us, but it's about him. It's about Jesus. Mark gives us this account right after Jesus' calming of the storm to show us his power. And I think the gospel writers give us this story to show us the deity, the majesty of Jesus Christ. So we see that when Jesus calms the storm and he saves this guy from demon possession, that Jesus not only has power over nature, but he has power over chaos. He has power over the the demons. He has power and authority over everything. So when Jesus steps out of the boat here, he's stepping into Gentile territory. Now keep in mind that the worst thing, the absolute worst thing for a Jewish person is to be declared unclean before God. And when we hear about this guy that's running around in the tombs, he's about as unclean as it gets. First of all, this guy had an unclean spirit, which turned out to be a whole legion of demons. Okay, that's pretty bad. Second, this guy came from Decapolis, which is Gentile territory. Gentiles are considered unclean. Third, this guy was running around a cemetery among the dead and coming into contact with a dead person was the absolute worst thing that a Jewish person could do. And finally, he lived near people who raised pigs, which are unkosher animals for Jewish people. So this... Uh, And I'm sorry, it sounds like the people in the area tried to bind this guy. They actually tried to bind him, but he keeps breaking out. So this guy is just running around the mountains, screaming, cutting himself, complete misery. And that's this guy's life until one day he sees a man step out of a boat and he knows it's Jesus. Let's read verse six and seven again, just really quickly. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. Do not torment me. So in this moment, it is the demons that are communicating with Jesus. And Matthew adds something crucial um, to this man's statement, and it's this. In Matthew eight twenty nine. he says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So those three words, before the time, that is key in understanding what this text is saying. This comment shows us that the demons understand that there will be a day coming when Satan will be bound and all the forces of evil will be crushed once and for all. So in other words, the demons of hell, they know that their days are numbered. When Jesus comes at the end of the age, Satan and his demons won't stand a chance. It's not going to be a wrestling match. When he comes back on a white horse with eyes like fire and hair like wool and feet of bronze and a two-edged sword of truth comes out of his mouth to separate, separate the wheat from the chaff, it's not going to be a wrestling match. It's done. Because he is Jesus, the very source of power. 
the demonic world lives in constant fear of that coming day. However, the day that Jesus found this man in the tombs, the demons knew that that time had not come yet. Jesus understood this, of course, too. So even though the Lord had the ability to end everything right then and there, we have to remember that Jesus never does anything outside the Father's timeline. He never does anything independently of the Father's will. He always operates within the Father's will. So the demons are crying out here, reminding Jesus that it wasn't time yet for him to put the final smackdown on him, right? right. Wasn't the final, final ring, final showdown of SummerSlam smackdown. Yeah, yeah. The time hadn't come yet. Good. Jesus had come to set the captives free. Yes. And that's exactly what he does here when he liberates this man from demonic torment. So the purpose of this text is to let us know exactly who Jesus Christ is. He is the son of the most high God. I don't think it's a coincidence that Mark tells us this story of the demon-possessed man right after the calming of the storm. Christ shows us that he has power over the forces of nature and the forces of hell. The wind and the waves obey him. The forces of hell shudder at the sound of his voice and obey his every command. This is our Lord. So what do we, what do we do? Like, how do we respond to this power? Okay, Jesus, you have all authority, all power. How do we respond? I think we find the answer in Mark 6, 1 through 6, and we're finishing up here. He went away from there, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. <clears throat> so here we see Jesus returning to Nazareth, Nazareth, where a year earlier he had been thrown out of the synagogue, right? He had been thrown out of the synagogue and they, they almost kill him. But this time, they don't throw him out. They just don't take him seriously. They don't. You could see it in the text when they said, isn't he the son of Mary? You see, in that time, you don't say that somebody is a son of their mother. You would say he's a son of Joseph. So even in their, the way they, they talk about him, they are not taking him seriously. So this was his hometown. People he was ministering to were people that knew him very well. But these people had no spiritual perception. They were hardened. They were hardened. Jesus, Jesus even reminds them a prophet is without honor among his own people. So what was their problem? Why had they hardened themselves? They just couldn't make sense of his, of his power and his wisdom. And since he didn't do any works there, they had to be referring to the works they had heard about him doing in the surrounding areas. They knew that there was no way 
There's no way that this man, Jesus, who we've grown up with, who's been our neighbor for 30 years, we've seen him grow as a boy and work with his father. There's no way that this man got all of his wisdom and, and knowledge from our schools here in Nazareth. And we haven't seen him, you know, we don't know that he's gone to any specific rabbinic school. So who is he to teach us? And they were offended by him. What arrogance does this man have to teach us? They were hardened. They were hardened. They saw him as common. So you would think that the people closest to him would give him the utmost respect, right? But in this case, their familiarity with him had bred content. Jesus had become a stumbling block because of their unbelief. I want to read you guys a quote uh, by one of my favorite commentators. His name, his name is Craig Keener. <clears throat> he says this, the Old Testament often reiterates the principle of the prophet without honor, Jeremiah, Joseph, Moses, and so forth. Subsequent Jewish tradition emphasized this concept even more, that Jesus is unable to do works because of their unbelief, presumes a limitation not of his power, but of his mission. To heal without morally directed faith would be to act like the pagan magicians of antiquity. They didn't believe. He wasn't there to do a magic trick. He's not a magician. He's Jesus Christ, the son of the most high God. But they had hardened themselves. And because of their unbelief, he did no works among them. So in closing, I just want you guys to imagine for a moment that Jesus is in your midst. The very one who can heal all your disease. The very one who can conquer death and deliver you from darkness and calm raging seas. Imagine that he is in your midst. Now, realize that you don't have to imagine it because it is reality, my friends. He is in our midst. Believe. Believe that he is who he says he is. Unbelief is what shuts out the supernatural. Unbelief is the enemy of our faith. Unbelief is that thing that never has enough evidence, that does biased research and, and rejects the truth at every turn. Unbelief is self-centered and it cuts you off from the divine power of God. And I don't know about you guys, but I need his power and his goodness every waking moment of my life. Without his power, I wouldn't be here today. Without his power, the men that I brought with me, they would be in jail. They would be six feet under. My family wouldn't exist. It is only because of the power, the one who holds all the power, Jesus Christ himself. So my friends, I don't know where you are today, if there are areas in your heart that have become hardened, if there are areas of your heart that are still unbelieving, that have grown cold and calloused, I think it's time to take a look around 
and see that, jo- that God still raises the dead, that he still heals, yeah. that he's still calming the raging seas of life, even if it doesn't feel like it. Amen. Even if you're going through something right now and it feels like, man, the waves are just beating me down. Lord, do you not care? Do you not see that I'm gonna die out here at sea? My friends, he cares. And if your life is hidden in him, he is in the boat with you. It is time to believe. It is time to believe that Jesus still heals. He still does miracles. He still raises the dead. Lord, forgive us for our unbelief. Help us.